Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think they're a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. But I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we're, we're just, we're so tired. Oh my God, we're so tired. Um, I am Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me, as always, is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hi. So, are you tired, Karen? I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm a little bit sick. I yeah, and I'm sick and tired. So, yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're sick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> me too. Wear a mask. Socially distance. Um, if it goes on for too long, go get a test. <laughs> like all of those things. Like every time I tell, every time my parents leave the house, now I'm just like, wear a mask. Socially distance. <laughs> don't don't hug anybody. And they're like, yes, we know. It's like, all right, good. I'm about um, 98% sure it's not COVID, so. Well, knock on, knock on wood, Karen. Yeah, there we go. Oh, God. <laughs> no, it's just the, the basic crud of the universe, obviously. Because um, mm-hmm. there's other bugs still going around, too. Like, I don't yeah. think people realize this. Yeah, it's ex- not exactly. just COVID. <laughs> exactly. I'm actually going to get my flu shot this week because I, I was reminded, one of my friends was just like, so we should get flu shots this year. It's like, yeah, I think that that's probably a very good idea. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I'm, I'm, I admit that I, in years past, I've been somewhat lax about getting flu shots. Um, this year, I'm just like, no, nope, I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go do that just as soon as I can, actually. Yeah. Last year was the first year I've ever gotten one because the uh, you know, I hear so many stories from people about like, well, I got the flu shot and then I got sick. And I'm always like, I don't have time to be sick just in case. So I just don't get it because <laughs> I'm like, well, get the flu shot and get sick or get the flu shot and hope or don't get it and hope I don't, you know? So, yeah. but last year I had three of my employees call out sick in a single day. And then two more were like, I don't know if I'm going to make it tomorrow. And I'm like, all right, I'm getting the flu shot. And I did not even get a cold last year, so I'm <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I am one of those people that I, I one of my friends whose father uh, is an infectious disease expert says that it's not like it's an old wives tale or whatever that, that you get the flu after you get a flu shot, mm-hmm. um, that probably you already had it and that it was just kind of progressing and so you were going to get the flu. I literally, every year I've gotten the flu shot, I have gotten sick. Maybe I've gotten less sick than (laughs) I would have, but like I would get the flu shot and then I would immediately, you know, get like, get ill for a couple of days. But honestly, at this point, I'm like, you know what, if that's what it takes, I would rather just do this now and, (laughs) and not worry about it, you know? Yeah. I've also heard some doctors say that you, when you get the flu shot, if you get sick, most of the time people aren't sick with the flu. They're sick yeah. with like a cold and they can't tell the difference. Yeah. So yeah. So it's like, yeah, you're the, the flu shot doesn't protect you from anything else, but those strands of the flu that they're hoping for. Yeah. And, exactly. and yeah, it doesn't make you invincible. I got really lucky last year, but I think I was also more careful because I was like, screw it. I don't want to get sick. I don't have time for that. And then I, <laughs> was very careful last year 
Well, and also we're all wearing masks, or we should right. be. So that's also, you know, that'll that'll help definitely. So this has been a PSA: uh, get the flu shot this year, just because you know, like we don't want to have the flu and COVID at the same time or on top exactly. of each other, anything like that. It's, it, yeah, just exactly. Get the flu shot. And wear your mask. Available now at zazzle.com/slash/citizendeanpod. <laughs> That was really good confluence of subjects. Uh, so really briefly, um, when we're at the time of recording, and this would be a little bit more in the past uh, when this episode is actually released, but the time of recording, uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away yesterday because uh, we were recording on Saturday. Um, so we just wanted to take a few minutes and I, I mean, talk about her and at least say that, of course, we're very sad about this. She. She was 87 years old. She has had she had cancer for the fifth time, I believe, and yeah. um, has and managed to continue to remain on the Supreme Court uh, right up until the end. And she was just a really, really spectacular woman, and had, has done so much for the cause of the cause of justice generally. Um, but some of the freedoms that, uh, that women especially enjoy today are, are directly a result of her, uh, not just being on the Supreme Court, but also arguing cases in front of the Supreme Court. Um, and so she's done, she did so much for gender equality. She did so much for uh, so many different things in our lives. And it's, it's very sad to have lost her beyond anything else, just to not have her in the world anymore. Um, of course, unfortunately, because of the place that we're at right now, there are greater concerns even than just that she's not around anymore. Uh, but for now, I think that, you know, we should definitely remember her for what she did and, and the fact that she advanced us in such a remarkable way. And that's something to, that's something to celebrate and that's something to be hopeful for, I think. Because um, she really, really was a remarkable woman. Yeah, I um Last night I was watching CNN for several hours. Um, Anderson Cooper was doing a lot. He was, I think he was on, I lost track of time, but I think he was on for more than his one hour show. But, um, and he's back on this morning. Um, and he was bringing on guests that knew her and that were talking about her. And they, the conversation, obviously they talked a little bit about the implications and what happens next but so many of the guests that he had they were just talking about her who she was uh as a person and it was making me think about obviously i never got to meet her but two years ago when um on the basis of sex came out and i got to go to the press day for that and interview um the stars and I, one of the people that I got to talk to was Dan Steepleman, who was the screenwriter. And he was also her nephew. He wrote this movie about his Aunt Ruth. And um, listening to him talk about her. And he was sharing with me just a couple of, like, family stories. And, and just the journey of, like, convincing her to let him write this movie about her. And why would anybody want to see a movie about me? You know, that kind of thing. And, um, and why that case? I had so many more interesting ones and more important ones. And it was just interesting listening to him tell these stories about her, not as Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but as Aunt Ruth 
and it just it was the first time in my life which sounds so silly but it was the first time she was nominated to the Supreme Court when I was in high school and I had never I'd never seen her in such a human way this sounds silly but like she was always just this like bigger than life like presence this icon this you know this being that was one of those untouchable supreme court justices but listening to dan steepleman talk about her she she was suddenly so much so much more normal than that i guess is what i'm trying to say like it was the first time i realized she was a working mom even after watching the movie like you know it was listening to him actually talk about these these memories and it just it made her this this real person for me and i think that having that experience made it just a little bit harder yesterday um because i was thinking about not just what we have lost but what her family has lost and what her family is is dealing with today separate from politics separate from uh from all the implications that are to come they just miss her and they had to say goodbye to someone that they love and care about and it just yeah i don't know that's what i was thinking about and it just it made it it made it real in a different way for me i guess yeah i, th I think that it's important to remember that that she was she was a person you know <laughs> she was a human being she she's this she's this icon and she's this very important political figure and uh figure for in american life um regardless of your feelings about her one way or another um but it, yeah it's also important to remember that she was also a human being who had children and family and people that she loved and people who loved her and had friends etc and that they're they're the ones who are suffering the most now not because they've lost you know supreme court justice but because they've lost someone that they cared for um mm -hmm. and it was a member of their family and that was uh someone that they loved and i think that that's important to remember for the rest of us who are also you know sad in different ways um not knowing her not being a part of her life and everything and um I do think that one of the that the uh, RGB documentary that came out in 2018 was very good at also portraying that at showing the reality of her humanity that she was this person not not just mm -hmm. this icon and uh, and that that's important to remember too and and just to say the RGB documentary is is available to watch on Hulu so um, it is, anyone. Yeah anyone who has that like it's it's very much just as a film it is very much worth it um it's a really fascinating portrait of her and and of how important she has been in american life and how important she continued to be right up until the very end um on the basis of sex is also available i believe on showtime yeah uh on on amazon prime and on hulu and you can also purchase it on various streaming platforms and things like that so both of them are, are very very worth it um for different reasons Mm -hmm. so. yeah. one thing that i just wanted to say and this is what you and i were talking about before we started recording um but there is definitely this um this sense that i was seeing last night on twitter and you <laughs> smartly <laughs> avoided that but uh there are a lot of people who just want to give up now and they're saying well it's over 2020 took the best of all of us and why go on but i 
I think for anybody who's feeling that way, I would just encourage you to watch our RBG, watch On the Basis of Sex. Think about the fact that over 20 years, she battled cancer five times and kept going. And how, like, we can't talk about what a hero she was to us if we're not going to follow her lead and, and take up the fight for her. We have to carry on. Even though things look bleak sometimes, even though we don't know how it's going to work out, we just have to keep going. And we have to remember that that's what she would do. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I uh, yes, everyone who, who like follows us on Twitter, everything. I'm not going to be on Twitter for a little while. <laughs> uh, I just can't deal with it, and and some of it is definitely the doomsaying, and and yeah, and this and to a certain degree, you know, and I, I don't want to say that people being despairing or anything like that are are wrong or are not having a natural reaction. But at the same time, it does feel almost disrespectful to her memory to be like, well, time to give up. It's just like, what? This, this is a woman who, who as, a, as, a, you know, as a young woman, was one of the few people to graduate from Harvard Law. This was like a, a few women to graduate from Harvard Law. This was, this was a woman who like went up in front of the Supreme Court and argued for um, gender equality in front of a bunch of men, mm -hmm. right? In a time when women were like, you know, you think we're not respected right now? We are, yeah. we were really not respected then, like the, and, and she was tough and she was brave. And there were a lot of times when she probably was just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and she didn't because she believed in something that was bigger and more important than her own personal feelings at that level. And that's not saying that you're, you, sh that you can't despair, that you can't be sad or that you can't be afraid or anything like that. But definitely at some point we have to pull ourselves out of that and say like, you know, this, we have to keep on going in the worst of it. We have to keep on going. Exactly. Uh, and, and we don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. Like there is no, I, I mean, if 2020 has taught us anything, we cannot necessarily predict what's going to go on. <laughs> uh, and so I think we just have to keep on finding grace and hope where we can find it. And, yeah. And that's definitely in her memory too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Apparently last night, the Democrats broke a record in the nine o'clock hour. So this would have been like an hour or two after the news came out that she had passed, but they broke a record, a fundraising record um and then they broke their own record again in the 10 o'clock hour <laughs> so i think i mean motivated and i think we need to i think we need to keep that going yeah that in itself honestly is a cause for hope i mm -hmm. i uh i actually because i use resist bot sometimes and um and so i was sending emails and letters and things to my representatives and initially i could not get on the app because it literally get, said like we're experiencing an abundance of, co of correspondence right now. We'll get back to you in a little while. Um, That's awesome. So I could not actually send anything through them because uh, there was just so much. I was like, I'll bet that this might have something to do with the reason why I'm sending emails right now. <laughs> so that's cause for hope. That's not saying that is that, you know, everything is perfect or that there isn't cause for concern, but it's also cause for hope. And I think that that's important to remember. Exactly. So, yeah, so we're not going to spend the entire time talking about this because there's also fun things that we can talk about. And there is fun and excitement and joy, et cetera, even in 2020. 
Um, so <laughs> we decided for this one that we wanted to, we talk, we've talked about horror films, we talked about the history of horror. We want to go into some of the smaller subgenres of horror that we really enjoy and talk about some of our favorite films from that and just like about why these films are fun, why we like watching them to begin with and maybe why they're important and maybe some, you know, things that we should value uh, in, in cinema. And so we want to talk about horror comedy which is a subgenre of horror. So to start And honestly, with, it feels appropriate considering like, see, you can find humor in things even when they're terrible. In horrible, horrible things, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, horror comedy is one of, you know, my favorite genres. Uh, but Karen, to, just to start out with, what are some of your like favorite horror comedies in, in oh, your experience? Um, so I like a whole... A whole range of them um i know you want to talk about young frankenstein so i'll let you talk about that one but um it's we funny to talk about it together I think. okay yeah yeah <laughs> there's a lot to say about that one but um i think more i think most of my favorites are kind of in the last few years so um <clears throat> like ghostbusters answer the call obviously um which i think for me, that's definitely more comedy than horror, but um, it definitely qualifies. Uh, I really, I love um, Little Monsters from, I think it was last year, with Lupita Nyong'o and Josh Gad. Um, yeah, I remember that. The, yeah, it's a zombie movie. She's a kindergarten teacher who plays the ukulele and, and uh, <laughs> tries to keep the kids safe during a zombie outbreak at a petting zoo in Australia. It's really great. And Josh Gad plays this, um, this American children's show host who happens to be in Australia at the same time. And they end up locked in the souvenir shop together, him and her and all the kids. And turns out he hates children. So that's fun. (laughs) Um, my very all time favorite Uh, one of my all-time favorite horror movies I would consider also a horror comedy and that is Scream. I, it's funny. (laughs) It plays serious, like, kind of, but it's really funny. Really, all all four of them are. And I love the Scream movies and I think that, I think the comedy is part of why they work so well because otherwise they would just be, you know, run-of-the-mill slasher films. They would wear out their welcome really fast in fact i think they would be pretty boring if they weren't so funny so yeah that's a couple of mine i have others but yeah i i well i I would actually like to talk about the scream franchise a little bit later because i think that there's an interesting argument about you know what do we consider to be horror comedy and Mm -hmm. what you know what's horror what's horror comedy you know where where did the where do different films fall and how do they kind of um you know what's meant to be taken seriously and what isn't uh but just in terms of some of my favorite ones um i i do like some of the early ones i like Abbott, i like the Abbott and costello uh, horror films but the two best are Abbott and costello hold that ghost which is just <laughs> so that's that's fun because um you've got a number of uh female comedians who are out, who are also in that and they're just hilarious and they match Abbott and costello really well um but that's a great sort of screwball haunted house movie um and then the other one the one that I, I guess would kind of have launched my interest in horror to begin with because my father traumatized me with it uh <laughs> when i was like four 
was Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, which is, um, I, we're going to talk about it in a few minutes, but that's just so good. And yeah, some of the more recent ones, um, I loved Extraordinary, as I have said yes. numerous times. Uh, mm -hmm. Love Ghostbusters, which yes, boys, it is a comedy. I don't know at what point you decided <laughs> that it wasn't, but it is definitely a horror comedy. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's a comedy with ghosts. Um, uh, yeah, and, and Young Frankenstein, of course, uh, and, and I think that we're going to also talk about the Scream films in a little while. So, yeah, I think that horror comedy is one of those subgenres that, um, like, like, well, like, really like so many subgenres, you kind of begin asking, okay, what falls into this category and what doesn't? Is there, are there really generic conventions for horror comedies? You've got the ones that are parodies or satires of horror films, so something as broad as like the scary movie. Uh, mm -hmm. franchise um and then ones that are intended that are horror with comedy elements uh that kind of the i think one of the interesting things about horror comedies is that it takes two genres that seem like they should be diametrically opposed right laughter you know being being entertained lightness and humor and being terrified um and, and all of the things that, that go into a horror film, violence and ghosts and the supernatural, serial killers, all of that stuff. That's not the kind of thing that you go like, ah, yes, this is hilarious. <laughs> uh, and yet it is because um, horror and, and uh, fear really and humor are very much intertwined with each other. And I, I think that when we were talking about horror films, we talked about some, some films that feel like amusement park rides almost. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of horror comedies that kind of fall into that where part of the pleasure of them is you're being scared and the scare reaction, the shock reaction is also kind of funny. Um, and I also like a, a number of those horror comedies where there, there's almost this this sense of like this is scary but also it's kind of funny like it's kind of silly to be frightened of these things and you can find humor in it you can find grotesqueness in the fact that you're afraid of them mm -hmm. uh and and so those kinds of films really it's difficult to do a good horror comedy is not like the easiest thing and i would point to the scary movie franchise as um proof of that mm -hmm. but um, it's difficult to, to strike that balance between finding something funny and finding something frightening at the same time and being able to scare people and also being able to kind of entertain them and make them laugh at it. Uh, and to sort of get that pleasure that we get from watching, um, from anticipating the murder, anticipating the arrival of the killer or the ghost, uh, and to lessen that tension with humor. Yeah. So uh, as with pretty much every genre and subgenre that we have talked about yet ever, uh, these started very, very early. <laughs> uh, so two of the, I mean, there are a lot of ones that are, are even earlier than this, but two of the ones that immediately come to mind for me are um, Buster Keaton's The Haunted House and uh, slightly later, a, a German expressionist film called The Cat and the Canary, or it's an expressionist film technically called The Cat and the Canary, which is humorous and actually makes a lot of use of some of the tropes of horror. So there's there's an, uh, a shot in The Cat and the Canary, and, from, and this is a film from 1927, where it's literally like a disembodied hand reaching through the wall, right? 
and there are jokes that are made about it. Like it's meant to be funny. It isn't, it's meant to be frightening to a certain degree, but it's also meant to be kind of humorous to watch, to see this, the, the inherent silliness of, you know, this disembodied hand reaching out for the heroine or whatever. And her kind of be like, oh my God, it's a disembodied hand coming out of the wall. <laughs> That's funny. That is actually funny. It's, um, it's, you know, it's, it's like, the the uh, the use of paintings that the eyes follow them and everything that and that gets used a lot in in early horror comedies especially there's something inherently humorous about it it's uncanny and it's creepy but it's also funny uh the haunted house is a buster keaton film from 1921 and that's one where the joke really is that it's it's in this house that is has basically been outfitted by criminals uh, and is being treated as a haunted house in order to keep people from going in so that they can carry on their criminal activity. And so part of the humor of it is that the viewer is, if I remember correctly, the viewer is more or less aware that this is, that this is not real. These are not supernatural ghosts. Mm -hmm. um, but the humor is that the, the, uh, the characters, particularly Buster Keaton, isn't aware of this, and so he's frightened of everything. Uh, and he's like running scared of like, and it's literally dudes wearing bed sheets, like that. It's that kind of ghost, um, and and so he's like running away from these creepy things, these scary things. But of course, everything has a natural explanation, and a lot of earlier films have that. Abner Costello Hold That Ghost has that as well. It's a haunted house, but the explanation of it is 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 natural, uh, not supernatural. And then you come to something like Adam Costello Meet Frankenstein, which have you, you've seen Adam Costello Meet Frankenstein, Karen? I have, but you it's have. been years, yeah. <laughs> I, it was one of those that they used to show a lot, like when I was a kid on KTLA Channel 5, you know. And... Yeah, it's constantly repeated around Halloween time, like mm -hmm. uh, almost, I, I think that TCM always shows it now. Um, and it, back in back in the old, the battle days of cable and things like that, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, the, uh, a lot of stations would show it. But um, that's one of, not the earliest horror comedy, definitely, but one of the earliest that actually uses supernatural elements. So part of the plot is, um, is Count Dracula is trying to, is trying to resurrect the Frankenstein monster. Uh, and put a and, and put Costello, Lou Costello's brain into it um, because they want to make him because Dracula, Dracula, who's a mad scientist in this scenario, wants to like make him this powerful kind of Superman, but also be really pliable and controllable. And he, he assumes that, you know, Lou Costello would be the, is the perfect person to, to become the Frankenstein monster. Um, <laughs> But there are like supernatural elements to it. It's Dracula, it's, it's Bela Lugosi. He turns into a bat, he flies around. Part of the joke of a lot of the film is that Costello's character believes in these creatures. Uh, and on the other side of it, his friend is constantly telling him like, no, the, you know, these things don't exist. This is not real. Uh, and, and so some of the tension is the fact that a lot of horror film, a lot of horror comedies up until this point have basically undercut the concept of the supernatural. And here you've got a film that is actually using supernatural characters, famous supernatural characters, uh, and making a joke out of it and saying like, you know, not, not believing in these things is actually silly, is a bad idea. And it has one of my favorite lines, which is um, uh, Abbott saying, 
I, uh, you know, I know there's no such a person as Dracula. You know, there's no such a person as Dracula. Costello says, but does Dracula know it? <laughs> and I love that line. And it's so perfect because it's like, yeah, like I know Dracula doesn't exist, but I'm pretty positive Dracula doesn't know that Dracula doesn't <laughs> exist. Mm -hmm. um, so what are your thoughts about kind of this era of films? I know that you said that your, uh, that your love of horror comedies does not start quite this early. It doesn't. I mean, I've seen a couple of, of them. Like, like I have seen Abbott and Costello. Um, I've seen more than one of the Abbott and Costello ones. Um, like I've seen uh, the, mum, a, the Mummy. Yeah, The Invisible Man. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I've seen The Invisible Man one. It's been, it, like I said, it's been so long. Um, They're not as good. <laughs> um yeah but then there's some that i'm like um like that people sorry i'm looking at a list here like i pulled up a list of horror comedies and there's some that i'm like i wouldn't consider that a comedy i don't know so maybe that's something that we can talk about but like one of them is the old dark house from 1932 well would you would you consider that a comedy yes and no and this kind i mean i don't want to jump around too much but this kind of brings up a, a question that i was thinking about earlier which is that where what do we call a horror comedy mm -hmm. so is it about camp is does it have to be self-aware at some level that it's supposed to be funny um because in that case i i guess i would kind of say that the old dark house is it's a horror comedy in the sense that there's a deliberateness to its camp true it's supposed true, to yeah. be extreme you know so i was saying something about the cat uh the cat and the canary which has a similar element to it. it's serious in the sense that there is actually a, a, a threat right whether it's supernatural or natural is a question mm -hmm. there are people being murdered but a lot of the imagery and a lot of the jokes in it are about are almost parodic it's that feeling of like this is this is camp this is extreme this is making fun of, at some level, these sorts of films. And The Old mm -hmm. Dark House has that in it, too. It's almost James Whale making fun of James Whale. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I was just kind of looking through, like, what have I seen from before the 1980s that would fall into this, uh, <laughs> <laughs> into this category? Because, I mean, obviously, I've seen a lot of movies from before the 1980s, but horror comedies not so many actually well and and i think that's not a lot of the things that we kind of find funny now so so again so where where do we draw the line um mm -hmm. what is what is intended to be comedic is it what we find funny now that was it supposed to have been found funny then and that's some of the arguments that get made about the old dark house are you actually supposed to find this funny yeah you are it, you mm -hmm. are supposed to find some of this funny but it's also serious right um and I mean, I, I'll never forget there's a, a character who is probably the, one of the queerest characters you are going to see True. in that period of film, comes down the stairs and he immediately announces, I am Faye. <laughs> and it's like, that yeah. is, that's a joke. Like, that has got to be a joke. That is not, that is deliberate. <laughs> like, there is no way that that can be pretend. Or it's just like, oh, we totally didn't get that one. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> I mean, it's even called the old dark house. It's true. 
it's about old dark houses um it is well it's about one in particular yes the old dark the, house the only old dark house mm-hmm. where creepy things happen and there's a creepy butler <laughs> and creepy people and like there's a yeah. ancient there's an ancient brother imprisoned in a turret and like all kinds of shit goes down i guess maybe that's it maybe i was looking at it from the perspective of like i find this stuff funny now but i i didn't i wasn't considering like what was the intention when this was made uh-huh well and sometimes it can be hard to tell what the intention actually is yeah you see that in a lot of films that we consider to be camp uh-huh. uh what what is intended to be funny so something like adam costello and frankenstein is intended to be funny and you know it because you've got two comedians who are heading it up mm-hmm. um, oh i remember the first time i watched the original amityville horror with like karen allen and chris mm-hmm. christopherson i was with a group of friends and we were laughing our heads off not because it's supposed to be a funny movie but because it had just faded so much and had become so ridiculous <laughs> But I mean, I don't think you would argue that Amityville Horror is a horror comedy. It doesn't. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. And that's why I say like, sometimes when I'm watching older movies, it's like, was this supposed to be funny or or has this just degraded to the point where we find it hilarious now? Yeah. Has it not aged well? Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And some of that is also, um, I guess, finding out some of the history of the films. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, And it also speaks to, and we talked about this when we talked about horror, it speaks to what what do we find funny now versus what was found funny in you know 1930 uh, or 1940s so and and it's the same thing with what do you find scary so the 1931 dracula is intended to be scary i find it creepy i don't particularly find it scary Mm -hmm. uh that being said abner costello me frankenstein did actually terrify the fuck out of me when i was five (laughs) years old so there's definitely horror in that um but so, like, it's a good question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot for this, but I am running the episode, so I get to. Uh, <laughs> so wh- how would you define horror comedy, Karen? Uh, I, <laughs> well, I think we've kind, of, we've kind of already talked about it. I think, for me, it's a horror comedy if it's intended to have comedy elements to it even if they don't necessarily work like some just aren't that funny um but i think i think it's less eh, not less but i I think it's it's about whatever the intention is Mm -hmm. of the film sometimes things do become unintentionally funny like not a horror but kind of in a different way uh the room (laughs) (laughs) is not a horror comedy it's not even a comedy it's supposed to be a drama but it's funny as hell um so it's like where do you classify stuff like that but um but yeah i think when it comes to horror comedy obviously it's still hard to define what horror even is but um but yeah i think it has to do with the intention more than the result Mm -hmm. so but i mean it's it's an interesting it's an interesting issue because how do you define intention true so so the old dark house is a good is a good example um mm-hmm. my argument is that yeah it's definitely intentional uh because because it, honestly because of the things that i know about james whale as a director and about the time period in terms of the way that horror was developing at that time and the stories that were told at that time that's that's knowledge that i just happen to have because i'm this is something that i'm interested in it's a time period that i'm interested in 
but how do you define, like, how do you find intentionality? You know, so moving ahead to the Scream franchise. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would, that's definitely humorous because we know all of the referentiality that it's, that it's pulling. We also know the history of the director. Yeah. Uh, as a director of slashers, as someone who knows what slasher films look like and how they're, and the, all of the meta-narrational techniques that he uses. Um, and he, in some ways he's making fun of himself. Mm -hmm. But so, so how do we determine, I guess, intentionality uh, in terms of, of something, as something as difficult to pinpoint as humor, because what makes me laugh is the same thing as what scares me. You know, it, it, it depends upon me as a person, not necessarily, um, uh, not necessarily like some extra category of uh, this is what is frightening and this is what isn't, or this is what is funny and this is what isn't. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's like uh, how comedy in general regardless of the subcategory um, does really well with certain audiences and not with others. And it's hard for comedies to get awards traction and things like that because comedy is so subjective and what one person thinks is hilarious. Another person is thinking this is really stupid, you know? So it's when it comes to horror comedy, I, I don't know. I, I think, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Well, here's, here's another one that I was thinking about. Does it have to be scary? In order to be a good horror comedy, does it need to be frightening at some I, level? So, I would so say do, no. Okay. Sorry, what were you going to say? No, I just, I, I wasn't certain. What I, what I was going to say was, um, I actually find, there are things that I find scary about the Scream franchise. Mm-hmm particularly the first one like it there are good scares there's shock oh, moments yeah. mm -hmm. etc so i would say that the scream franchise is scary mm -hmm. at some level it's also funny yeah and the scares and the humor kind of overlap with each other and that's what makes it so good and what makes it so pleasurable but so so why why would you think that it, it doesn't need to be scary um because well just like with comedy i think what scares us is very subjective too and I think that there are elements of horror that need to be present for it to be a horror comedy, but that doesn't mean it has to be scary. Now, there are some that are, like the Scream movies are definitely in that category. Um, I'm trying to think of some other ones that scare me. But, but then I think about movies like um, um, The Burbs. That is a horror comedy, and it's not scary. It has... It might have a couple of elements of like, oh, what's going to happen now? But it's not a scary movie, really, to me at all. Or Ghostbusters. Um, or Extraordinary. I think that they have, they have those elements of horror because it's, you know, it's people being unable to control the circumstances around them. There's ghosts, there's monsters, there's whatever. But, uh, but ultimately, it's, a, it's a, using those horror elements to tell a funny story uh-huh well that's that i i i agree with you and i don't agree with you at the same time that's <laughs> if i'm allowed to do i'm allowed to do that because uh because this is also my podcast and <laughs> <laughs> we get to decide i get to agree with you and not agree with you uh, yes <laughs> um yeah i don't know it's it's an interesting issue because like what you're saying we're talking like 
you just said uh, we're talking about two incredibly subjective genres mm -hmm. that are then combined to be even more subjective. Yeah. So, you know, using again, the Scream franchise is such an easy example, but I know some people who, do, who refuse to watch the Scream franchise because it scares them, mm. right? They dislike the violence and they dislike the, um, the blood and, and the intensity of, of the stories. I love it. I, I find it very exhilarating. I think that it's, you know, particularly the first one is just fun to watch, you know, mm -hmm. just like, oh yeah, and then that guy's going to die. But it is really, <laughs> it is very odd because it, it does play on those, um, those feelings that you also have with, with a lot of horror films, which is you're waiting for the horror, you're waiting for the violence. And part of the pleasure of it is the fact that you're like, oh, she's totally dead, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, well, and that's why I think that there are some some movies in this category are scary and some are not. And I think that that doesn't invalidate the category, and I don't think that it invalidates either type of movie in it either. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So so like I would even this is an argument that I I think would be very difficult to make in some ways, and people are gonna some people may get mad at me for saying i kind of find rosemary's baby to be a bit of the horror comedy really uh tell and, me more and well the reason for this is a lot of what is is used is kind of there there's an inherent ridiculousness i think to the representations of the satan worshipers and the kind of madness of the grotesqueness of the characters and the, the silliness of we're going to bring about the birth of the Antichrist. That's funny at some level. Uh, that's, you know, how do you take that seriously? And I think that the film uses that, that inherent silliness to, to a certain degree, at least, in, um, in some of its representations, being like, well, this is kind of dumb. This is, this is stupid. Why, why would, like, these little old people be like, oh, we're going to bring about the birth of the Antichrist. We're going to do it by standing naked in a room and chanting, you know, like that's, that's one of the things that they do. And it's, and it's frightening on the one hand, but it's also silly. There's some, there's a silliness to it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I don't know. So much of horror is like, like we were saying as is about what frightens you and what doesn't. And so there are definitely some films that almost take this and say like, this is silly to be afraid of if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other examples right now. Um. Well, some of the, um, you know, and I hate to continue to bring up Polanski's films because he's a very difficult uh, <laughs> director to talk about, but actually, to be honest, one of my favorite horror comedies is, is a film called The Fearless Vampire Killers. Uh, which is a fairly early Polanski film, and it's, I believe, the film that he actually met Sharon Tate on. Um, and the story is, it's, it's uh, very similar to a lot of Hammer horror films in the sense that it's, you know, this, um, uh, this vampire hunter and his assistant uh, show up in this, this little village, uh, and they're hunting, and they believe that, you know, the local castle is home to this major vampire, and so they're going after vampires, and part of it is like this in scientific investigation of vampires. One of the funny things about it is that most of the characters that are not the, the vampire hunter and his assistant are Jewish, 
and so some of the jokes are these jokes about about Jews as vampires. And it's very interesting coming from a Jewish director um, talking about this whole concept of the vampire, you know, the, all of the, the various um, stereotypes about Jewish people and using that to comedic effect. So it's, it's a very odd film in, in a lot of ways, but some of the jokes are even that um, one, uh, like the father of Sharon Tate's father in the film gets turned into a vampire and being Jewish, he cannot be repelled by things like crosses. <laughs> uh, and he actually makes a joke about it. It's just like, oh, you got the wrong vampire. <laughs> I've not seen that one. It is, it's a film worth seeing, you know, again, you have to kind of get past the issues that, that accompany Polanski, but it's, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting use of horror comedy to actually make commentary on, um, on serious issues. So, so the cons, you know, the treatment of Jewish people as being evil, like literally vampires. That's one of the stereotypes about, um, uh, about Jewish people and about, uh, and I forget what, exactly what it's called, um, about representations of vampirism that, you know, they were drinking the blood of Christian babies, that kind of, this is this horrific stereotype that was then also propagated by the Nazis. Uh, and so he's using that and then he's kind of using it as, as a form of commentary and turning it into a comedy. Hmm. So, interesting. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. I have not seen it. There's a lot of Polanski films I have not seen. Yeah. <laughs> and that wasn't, it's not, I'm not saying that as any sort of like a moral choice or anything. It's just, I just haven't. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I think we should talk about the Slumber Party Massacre. Well, speaking, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, speaking of films that horror comedy has, has an interesting way of actually using this combination of, of uh, horror tropes and, and kind of comedic underpinnings to, to create these, you know, social political commentaries on horror itself mm -hmm. and stereotypes and things like that. So let's talk about the Slumber Party Massacre, Aaron. <laughs> What would you like to say about the Slumber Party Massacre? Um, it's awesome and everyone should watch it. I'm actually going to look up right now if it's streaming anywhere. I think it's still on <laughs> Shudder. But, um, I think it yeah. is on Shudder, yeah. So the Slumber Party Massacre came out in 1982, and um, which, by the way, was the same year as Poltergeist, I think. Um, not that that's anywhere related, but, and, but um, it was directed by Amy Holden Jones. And um, it was it was one of those Roger Corman like movies where he just gives you money and says here just go make your movie and so as long good as at that. <laughs> yeah and as long as it had enough sex and violence in it he didn't really care what you did so um, so yeah so in this case he gave the movie to to Amy Jones who was actually a film editor and. I believe the story is that she turned down editing E.T. to direct this movie. Um, For which we thank her. <laughs> yes, we do. E.T. is also great. It's one of my very favorites. But uh, I'm glad that we have this movie too. And, and it wouldn't, it might not have existed, or at least definitely not in this way, if it hadn't been for her. Because um, 
it was written by um oh shoot what's her name rita may brown rita may brown yeah but what happened was she had written a script and then it was it was um kind of chopped up so it was it was written originally <laughs> as a parody. <laughs> that was unintentional, but um, but it was actually supposed to be a parody of slasher movies. That was what she wanted, and then it got kind of rewritten by other people and turned into something a little bit more straightforward. But Amy Brown or Amy Jones was like, "No, no, 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 <laughs> we're gonna have some fun with this." And so, um, so that's why I'm so glad that they went forward with a female director because it's so necessary for for this exact movie um especially if you're gonna have a movie called the slumber party massacre it makes it hilarious when you find out it's actually a pretty feminist movie (laughs) and not at all (laughs) the b horror movie about sorority girls that you go in maybe expecting (laughs) yeah every every time i tell people about this movie if they hadn't if they don't know what it is or haven't heard of it or something i was just like why would you want to watch it? I was like, okay, let me explain. Let me explain about this movie because it's not what you think. <laughs> exactly. And that's why it's like, oh man, people need to watch it. It's so funny. It's so good. It's, you know, it's about a slumber party. Go figure. Um, and it's these these teenage girls and there's the driller killers after them. And he's, of course, an escaped, like, serial killer or whatever because why wouldn't he be and he ends up at this slumber party because why not and um and it's just so funny it's like it's when you go through the movie it's like first of all all the girls are interesting they they don't do the whole like let's split up and run away like they stick together sometimes that works out sometimes not so much um they the first person that he kills is a phone like phone person like phone repair person but it's a woman not a man um out fixing the lines and um so it's like it does all these things to subvert what we expect of the genre and that's why it's so brilliant and so funny and so good what are your thoughts on it yeah and i i I just want to say i totally agree with you like i i i came to this film very late because i i like many people did not realize and then I looked it up and I was like, <laughs> oh, so it's like, okay, all right. Well, I think I would be willing to give this a shot. And I really, really, I loved it. And amazingly enough, I talk with a lot of men who don't like it. Oh, um, I'm shocked. That's so weird. <laughs> but the only thing that, one of the things I wanted to add was that you've got the driller killer and the use <laughs> of the yep. drill and the jokes about the visual jokes <laughs> uh about the drill etc also has this nice little commentary about slasher films because so often we you know we watch slasher films and it's you know we've talked about it before that it's like the phallicism of the knife or this chainsaw or whatever else mm-hmm. um and it's being used to like hor- horrific effect and of, and so they basically took that and they ran with it and we're like, all right, well, how about a drill? <laughs> right? An actual drill. And and it is, it's funny. It there's yeah. it's funny and it undercuts some of that self-seriousness, I think, of the more male-centric, uh, fellow-centric uh, narratives of just like, this is stupid. Like mm-hmm. and, and it's, you know, again, it goes back to that, like, this is kind of silly. This is silly. This is not, you know, 
as terrifying maybe as you want it to be. <laughs> right. And as much as I love Halloween and the original Friday the 13th, which that killer was a woman, by the way, uh, people forget that. Um, but, you know, as much as I love those movies and Scream too, I, I think that there is an inherent ridiculousness uh, in those movies where you've got this crazy person going after a lot of times it boils down to they're after one specific person and the slumber party massacre really i think does a good job of of just really mocking that lambasting it and saying like how silly this is and and just visually showing <laughs> how it can be really ridiculous yeah exactly and and it's and i i agree it does it does make a difference that it's it's written by women and directed by women um mm at the very least you can look at it and go like this is what this is what happens when girls make a slasher movie <laughs> we think those drills are hilarious guys so yep. funny i'm just like oh you're so proud of your drill oh <laughs> so frightened <laughs> yep exactly yes so highly recommend it i think it is on shutter it's also uh streaming for free on tubi um mm, yeah which there are two sequels as well which I have not seen. Are they any good? Um, I have not watched them either. <laughs> I've okay. only seen the first one. I feel but like I I'm... believe all three. I think all three. I'm looking right now because I think all three are on Shutter. So I, if yeah, they I feel... are, then I know what I'm doing today. I feel like I've heard good things about the second one, but I'm not certain about the third. The so the second one is a musical. <laughs> oh, I'm there. <laughs> um yeah the first one is on shutter for sure um the third one was actually not even originally intended to be a a, like part three of this it wasn't supposed to be a trilogy Mm -hmm. but um i think what happened if i have the story right i think what happened was that um they the it was also a female director and a screenwriter and they had um originally called it something else and i can't think of what the original title was but then uh decided to market it under something that was more recognizable so that was why they changed the name to the slumber party massacre three so it has no tie-in to the original it's about totally different girls um there is a driller killer but uh but yeah, I don't, it's not like the same, it's not like, you know, Jason keeps coming back or Freddie keeps coming back or whatever, so. Yeah, I just looked it up and all three films are directed by women, which I'm very, very pleased mm-hmm. by. Uh, that, that in itself just recommends it to me. Yes, definitely. Um, so yeah, definitely, if you haven't seen Slumber Party Massacre, everybody, definitely check it out. Like, it's, it's worth it. And, and it's worth it if you like slasher films, to be totally honest. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so let's let's move on. You were talking a little bit about satire and parody and how Summer Party Massacre is, on the one hand, it it is making fun of some of these kinds of films, but it's also doing a really good job at being a slasher film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that that's uh, uh, where some of the best horror comedies come from. So films like, and we've talked about it before, but films like uh, Young Frankenstein. So what are your feelings about Young Frankenstein? um young Frankenstein is brilliant and genius and i love it and it's very funny and i don't know how many times i have said abby something (laughs) abby normal (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> Abby. Abby normal. Abby normal. Abby normal. Again, a joke I did not understand when I was a kid. I thought that they were actually talking about someone named Abby Normal. And I was like, well, why is that funny? And then my parents had to explain it to me because I was like seven. <laughs> well, that's funny because I think I was like seven the first time I saw it too. Again, on KTLA Channel 5. And I don't know. I got it. Maybe it's because my brother and I used to make fun of each other a lot. I don't know. But but it's just such a um, such a brilliant... I mean, Mel Brooks was, I say was, he's still around. He's just not really making movies anymore. But when he was at his height, he was really good at making parodies. And um, really, I think one of the reasons he's so good at it is because he only parodied and homaged things that he actually enjoyed. And I think that's one of the things that um, certain people, when they try to make parodies now, miss out on um is they're just doing it because oh well people like that i'm gonna make fun of it you know but he really was a fan and i think that young frankenstein i would argue is maybe his best movie um definitely in the top and um and i think that it actually shows such a love for frankenstein and the frankenstein monster and the stories that have gone with that and the different versions of the frankenstein monster and i think that's why it's so genius yeah i i agree i think like a lot of people i saw it um i saw it long before i had seen any of the actual frankenstein movies um partially because i think my parents thought that i wasn't going to be as frightened of it as I would have been <laughs> of the actual Frankenstein films. Mm -hmm. um, although again, that was my dad's analysis when when he showed me Evan Costello and it just scared <laughs> the hell out of me. But you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, but one of the things you actually find out if you if you watch uh, Young Frankenstein and then you go back and watch the the kind of series of uh, Universal Frankenstein movies, which is what it's referencing primarily, um, you discover that uh, sometimes those films are almost ruined. Not because young Frankenstein like makes fun of them too much. It's just like, no, it actually does them so well mm -hmm. that it can, you, you could actually go back to it like, oh no, this is like, actually, this is what he was, he was making fun of and was doing and it was so well done. And oh, now I can't watch these movies. So <laughs> one of the films that uh, uh, Young Frankenstein draws from is Son of Frankenstein, which is one of the slightly later um, Frankenstein movies with like Basil Rathbone. And, uh, and that's mm -hmm. the introduction really of the, a, a similar Igor character. <laughs> um and and so many of the jokes in young frankenstein are riffs on son of frankenstein <laughs> and so it can be really difficult to watch that and take it seriously <laughs> mm -hmm. uh yeah i mean i i think that anyone who likes comedies i think likes young frankenstein and if you get the references and are able to kind of put together what they're doing it's it's even funnier but um but so many of those jokes are just timeless, you know, the, the moving hump and <laughs> whatever the hell Madeline Kahn is doing throughout that entire movie. Like there is just, just the way that she talks sometimes. Uh -huh. so, like it's so funny. Like it just 
is. And, and, it, and you're right, it does have this, it reflects this um, love of those films that, you know, they, he wants to do right by them. He's making a comedy, but he's also saying like, one of the reasons why I'm making this comedy is because I love these movies so much. Right, yeah. Um, I think what works about it, and, and I think the evidence of this being kind of in, in reverence to the movies that came before is the fact that he didn't just make a Frankenstein movie that was a parody. He, uh, it's, you know, it's set later and it's about his grandson, right? His grandson? It's been a long uh, time. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's about the Baron's grandson or great-grandson, maybe. Right, yeah. It's a couple generations later and he's going back to try to, like, clear his grandpa's name or whatever and prove that he wasn't crazy. And, and so it's, I think if it had been something where it was just a funny version of the Frankenstein story, which had already been done, um, then it would not have worked nearly as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and, and that, that like, it, it also, it has good tension also. Like, it develops a good generational tension. Mm-hmm. So the whole point is, um, you know, he, he has to go back to the castle and he refuses, you know, he won't allow his name to be pronounced the same way. You know, all of that <laughs> stuff. Which are, yeah, exactly, which are good jokes, right? Mm-hmm. They're jokes in, in themselves, but there's also something um, underneath them. And it is about this generational thing that's going on, which is, also in itself referencing the uh the original frankenstein films that universal made because there's always this you know it they turn into this series where it's like every generation of frankenstein (laughs) you know frankenstein frankenstein whatever the hell it's called frankenstein see this is what you begin (laughs) mispronouncing the names and then frankenstein and uh and, and well, I mean, and, and ultimately so much of this stuff has just seeped into our culture that, you know, you could say Frau Blucher and someone somewhere will go, nee! <laughs> It's so true. Uh, all of that. Such put, a great movie. Put the candle back. <laughs> <laughs> but again, so much of that is just this referentiality to things that are already a part of our culture. Like we know, you know, there's always a moving bookcase and that's operated by candles and books. There's always a hidden family secret, you know, all of those tropes that mm-hmm. we are so used to. And then he, he takes those tropes and he makes them funny and, and kind of points out the fact that, you know, they're fun and they are silly, but they're also serious. And there's also something that's important to us in them. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think that you, you don't have a soul if you don't love Young Frankenstein. That's my opinion. <laughs> Even the Academy loved Young Frankenstein. It got two Oscar nominations. That's impressive. I didn't know that. It did. Yeah, it was nominated for screenplay. And then the other one was like visual effects or, oh no, visual effects didn't exist yet. Uh, so it must have been sound. It does have good sound. I mean, I think that we also should point out that uh, he obtained i think most of the um the equipment that had been used in the original frankenstein films uh, all of this stuff that was still usable there was some that i think that had actually broken down that like you couldn't actually plug in anymore um <laughs> but most of the the uh the set that he uses for frankenstein's laboratory is actually like that is from the original films oh wow um so it's it's really cool and and again it's that ref- that referentiality and that reverence 
mm-hmm. for these films. You know, he uses things like um, uh, some of the voiceovers that he uses are from the original Frankenstein films uh, about, you know, uh, it's alive and all of that. Uh, and and that does say that, you know, he actually cared about these movies as movies, that they were important in their own right. Yeah. So, so I mean, we've kind of jumped all over the place. What are, what, <laughs> what about, let's, let's finish up with some like really contemporary ones, like really recent horror comedies mm. um, that, that we enjoy. I really like Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Mm-hmm. Which I don't know if you have seen. Uh, I have not. You've not seen Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Oh my no, god! No, I know. <laughs> uh, that's that's again. You know, talking about subversion. That's uh, kind of that's a subversion of the you know the evil hillbilly um, kind of concept, where it's basically just two guys who are going hunting uh, at their cabin in the woods, and these these young waspy college kids. Uh, automatically assume that they're, you know, evil degenerates, and acci- and the kids keep on accidentally killing themselves. Basically. <laughs> uh, and and at one point, like Tucker Dale, just like, what is the matter with these people coming to our woods and dying? <laughs> <laughs> and it's very funny, but it also like uses again, it's that use of those horror tropes mm-hmm. um, that we're we're conditioned to believe that certain certain people and certain um, locales are just automatically evil and they're not you know that's that's part of what's funny about it part of the horror is is what we're conditioned to believe not um what the reality is so what about you what are some can you think of any good horror comedies that have recently come out um i love death day or happy death day i think it's really clever um again it's making fun of like the killer genre and it's sort of a groundhog's day movie where she keeps getting killed and as soon as she gets killed she wakes up again and has to repeat the same day and she starts off as this like snobby sorority girl and goes through a big transition as she starts to really appreciate the fragility of life and and realizing how she treats people and things and and so I think it's it's really funny, but I think it's also kind of a sweet movie. And I, I think that about the sequel, too, where it really digs into um, the grief she has because she had lost her mom not that long before this all started and stuff. So I think it's uh, I think those two movies are are um, pretty clever, but funny and also scary. Like when that killer's coming after her, it's it's. I don't know. It got me like, kind of like when watching the Scream movies, where it's fun, but it's like ah, you know, it makes you jump. So, I would say definitely those two. Um, I have a few others. What's another of yours? I was gonna say I haven't actually seen. Uh, Happy oh, Birthday. you haven't? I no, I haven't. I I want to. That's been on my list for a long time. I mm. just didn't. I didn't see it when it came to theaters, and then I kind of it was one of those I just sort of forgot about. But now I will put it back on my list for this year. I do not understand why Jessica Roth is not a bigger star. I honestly don't. She's gorgeous. She's funny. She's really smart. Um, maybe that's it. She's just too smart. But um, <laughs> but yeah, like and she's brilliant. Really brilliant in those. So yeah. Let me know when you watch them. I will, definitely. Um, one of the ones uh, that just came out is Ready or Not. 
I would say mm-hmm. that that is a horror comedy. Definitely. Um, and and it's interesting that like that that one, uh, along with with something like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, is um, it's punching up. It's so it's using this humor. So rather than it being you know the evil redneck degenerates or something like that, it's this wealthy family, you know, and saying like, oh my god, you know my my husband's wealthy family are a bunch of fucking psychopaths that are trying <laughs> to kill me, you know? Um, and, and it's so funny and so satisfying in its own way. And it's, it's a great inversion of the final girl. It's a great inversion of a lot of different horror tropes. Uh, well, also, again, being quite frightening. Like, there's some really good horror sequences in that film. Uh, and, and I think that it would be less satisfying if it were... Um, if, if it were less if it were more parodic i guess mm-hmm. so yeah i love that one love that one i'd I almost can't... completely forgotten about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah that one's a good one i just rewatched that recently um i cannot let this episode go without mentioning my boy taika and what we do in the shadows <laughs> <laughs> good point <laughs> that I mean, obviously, I love the show, but the movie from 2014 is so funny, and, um, <laughs> like, I love the idea of vampires being a little bit scared, because his character in that, like, when he has to go and wake <laughs> wake up his flatmates, and one of them is, like, a Nosferatu vampire, mm-hmm. and he's, like, scared to wake him up, <laughs> and it's just so funny, and... The fight with the werewolves, werewolves, mm-hmm. not swearwolves, and yeah, it's it's so clever. And again, I think um, just like what we were saying with Mel Brooks, I think that it's very clear that there's a love for the vampire movie and the vampire like um, lore, yeah. and that's part of why what we do in the shadows works so well. Yeah, absolutely. I I still every once in a while I just go like. Leave me to do my dark bidding. What are what are you bidding on? I'm bidding on a table. <laughs> yep. I've used that quote, and then people look at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, do you have you not seen this movie? <laughs> oh, it's so sad. How many people still haven't? I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, everybody get on that. If you if you still have not seen what we do in the shadows, definitely watch the show, but also definitely see the original film because you can see both, and they're both so much fun because they do like they're just still funny. You don't have mm-hmm. to have seen one to have seen the other, but they they stand alone like so well. I think personally, my feeling is that the show is funnier than the movie, but. I think that watching the movie, well, first of all, the movie is great. And that's actually a really high bar that the show is even funnier. But, um, but also I think having seen the movie makes the show that much better. It really enhances mm-hmm. the experience. It's not required, but it enhances the experience, especially when a couple of certain episodes happen because yeah. they do call back to the movie and you can watch them without having seen it, but it just is, it's so much better when you're in on the joke. <laughs> Yeah, true. Yeah, I actually had to explain it to to some people um, in the the particular episode that you, that you're referencing. <laughs> uh, I was just like, okay, let me explain who these people are. Um, yeah, and I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, all right. So it's it's funnier if you know some of these references. Uh, yep. <laughs> I, you know, why don't we end on what we do in the shadows? I think that that's a good place to stop. <laughs> yeah.
<laughs> perfect is kind of the climax of everything um so those are some of our favorite horror comedies and i think it's a great genre it's one of those genres that can just can keep on giving and and uh and there's so many great films contained within it so let us know what some of your favorite horror comedies are uh, we are always interested to know these things yeah. uh so I think that that is going to close us out for this episode. Uh, once again, we want to thank everybody who continues to make this podcast possible, uh, especially our patrons um, who include Heather, Adriana, Crooked Table Podcast, Michael, James, Katie, Cariata, Mason, Matthew, Michelle, Monty, Nanina, Nicole, Robert, Sharon, Steve, Tao, and Will. Um, thank you so much to all of our, our patrons. And if you would like to contribute to our Patreon and continue to support us, um, we are on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash citizen dame. And of course, we understand if you're just listening and we are very, very happy to have listeners and for everyone to participate and to send us nice things and tell us like what your favorite horror comedies are and things like that. Um, so of course you can always get in touch with us. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod. We are on Facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. Uh, you can send us an email that's CitizenDamePod at gmail.com, especially if you aren't on social media regularly or something and you have a question or there's a topic that you want us to talk about, please go ahead, send us an email. We will try to get to things. We try to get to questions. Um, we do always have a call for questions every week. And so if you ever have something that you just want us to, to mention or to talk about or film you want us to address, send us an email and we will try to fit it in. Um, of course, you can read reviews and other fun things on our website at citizendamepod.com. I will be posting some new reviews uh, for New York Film Festival as that continues on. I've got a, a one up there right now. And by the time this podcast is released, I'll have at least another one, if not a couple more. And I believe that Karen is also going to be doing some reviews fairly soon. So watch out for that. I will. I did just recently review Tenet. So oh yes, of course. If you haven't read that, <laughs> if you really, if you love Christopher Nolan and you just really want to be mad at Karen, um, go and read that review. She's right. I mean, I haven't even seen the movie, and she's right. <laughs> I mean, I'm a fan of Christopher Nolan's films, and I'm disappointed in Christopher Nolan. That's that's <laughs> what I'm going to say. I know you have a different feeling on him than I do, but I think that that gives it more weight that I hated this movie, and I'm not afraid to say it. I think that it does, yeah, because I think he is just a terrible director, generally. <laughs> um, but for, for you to actually be like, no, this isn't very good, I'm like, ooh, it must not be good. <laughs> <laughs> yup. <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, so yeah, go and yell at Karen on our <laughs> website. <laughs> Um, of course, we do have our Zazzle store uh, where you can purchase masks because you should be wearing your masks. Um, that's Zazzle.com slash Citizen Dame Pod. And if you want to just kick us a few dollars uh, because you feel like it and you like us, obviously there's no obligation. Um, you can send some money to our Ko-Fi. That's co-fi.com slash Citizen Dame. And of course, you can get in touch with us a multitude of ways, although I'm going to avoid social media for a bit. Um, <laughs> I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter and Instagram at Karen M. Peterson. And we would love to hear from everybody, of course, but only if you're nice. We don't like assholes. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, I think that, that is going to close us out. We will be back next week talking about more horror subgenres, I believe. Um, so watch out for that. We'll talk to y'all later. Bye.
Uh, would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. Abby normal. I'm almost sure that was the name. <laughs> Are you saying that I put an abnormal brain into a seven and a half foot long, 54 inch wide gorilla? What? Is that what you're telling me?